Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Musical Splitting Podcast. I am your non-New York Times best-selling author, <laughs> Kava Teherian. And just for the sake Yet. of contrast, <laughs> I am joined by an actual New York Times best-selling author, a Miss... What's your name? Uh... Maria Taharian. Maria Taharian. <laughs> I don't know where that came. It's early. It's eleven thirty. I can't. I can't be witty at this at this hour. That's why you pay us. That's why you pay me the big bucks. I'm here for yeah. the wit. You're here for the, for the ha ha's. Yeah. The teehees. I, I hope you kept your receipt because you're gonna want a refund for this. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm joined by Lindsay Ellis, who is getting caffeinated and excited about today's episode because we're going to be talking about a certain sponged bobbed pants character which is which is what um the spongebob <laughs> squarepants musical i'm sorry i'm like really distracted because i i was just like ooh, look i got this uh this this thing in the mail for well it's a it's a slur so i can't say it but it's <laughs> uh g slurs persian grill that just opened here in long beach woof <laughs> may want to think of some rebranding there but now i'm just really hungry so i'm looking at their website like I know where I'm going after we're done. It's going to be Spongin good. Sponge in our Bob. Sponge in our Sponge in our Bob. Sponge in our Bob stuff. Yeah. So uh, yeah. we got a lot of requests for SpongeBob. We've been getting them for a while. I think this was on our list of stuff to see. Back yes, in it was. The before we times. were going to see it like actually very early on in the what you know what turned out to be the pandemic. Yeah, I think it was playing. Where it was somewhere in was it, it was Pasadena? at the Pantages. It was at Pantages. Okay, yeah. No, no, no. You're right. It was at Dolby Theater uh, it- because Hamilton had colonized the Pantages <laughs> for basically the rest of the year, and I guess still like basically Hamilton at the Pantages has just shoved itself like one year later. So it's. Yeah optimistically uh, slated to start next April, uh, which is uh, like almost a year exactly when they were supposed to start in 2020. Yeah. So we were supposed to see this one. Obviously, we didn't. Um, but now I guess it's available to watch online, which is great. I didn't know this. Yeah. It was um, playing in New York uh, in 2017, 2018. And um, so I got married in New York which wasn't originally planned as a destination wedding. It just turned into one when we moved. Because the thing about weddings is you kind of have to plan them like a year in advance. Yeah. You know, as a, as a destination wedding that it turned into, I had a bunch of friends coming in from like uh, California. And uh, two of my friends basically took the red eye and did not sleep, as you do, these mm-hmm. 20-somethings. Uh, Young whippersnappers. Yeah, just kind of stumbled into uh, the hotel room where I was crashing and they were like, we got tickets for the SpongeBob musical. <laughs> like, I think, I think it was that afternoon. Um, oh, wow. So one of them was, was Kat uh, and she, and Jenny. So it was Kat and Jenny who, uh, who has been on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, and uh, Kat was like, I don't know if it was the exhaustion, but I was just so moved by Squidward. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the people I know who have seen it. So this is one that I am actually going blind into because I was uh, I was quite busy that week. Although, ironically, uh, I I did see one Broadway musical that week. I was going to say that's you'll never you'll never guess what it was. Your bachelorette party, right? Is that what it was part of? Well, it was just the night before. So I took the bridesmaids to see Phantom. Yes. The, the some, Phantom related by bridesmaids and my cousin because I had an extra ticket. Yeah. Somebody would have, most people would have gone to see the Thunder Down Under or something like that. But you went to see <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. No, I had a, I had a legit uh, bachelorette party. Oh, okay. Um, and we did see Magic Mike live, <laughs> which is the better Thunder from Down Under. Sure. Okay. So you already like checked that box and that's good. I was yeah, worried. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm, no, I'm glad you were worried for me, but yeah. we, we, we got it. Like, yeah, I had I had a bachelorette party in Las Vegas in, that spring. Okay, um, it was pretty sweet. So it worked out. So you you have not seen this one. How much have you? Or did you watch SpongeBob very much? No, I was a little too old for it. I mm-hmm. assume you probably were too. Um, like yeah. my generation. It, it's, it's, although that is kind of funny because I think SpongeBob premiered around the same time Invader Zim did, mm-hmm. um, but. Like Invader Zim just appealed to an older audience, like it was permissible for high school students to watch Invader Zim, um, whereas SpongeBob was like 
yeah, just a little too young feely. So uh, I feel like SpongeBob um, only kind of began to uh, appeal to our age group later, like almost like in meme form. And I feel like most of what I know about SpongeBob is the mini myriad memes. Like, yeah, although specifically like all the like sort of black meme accounts I follow on Instagram, they're the ones that are just mm. it's all SpongeBob stuff. It's, it's SpongeBob <laughs> and Arthur. Neither of which I really watched, but like my only association with them is just through those meme accounts. So black Instagram and black Twitter are like the OG for SpongeBob memes. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know why I have no like point of reference for it. I'm sort of curious about it, but that's that's my main. I I feel like there is there's something about like SpongeBob, but like Squidward in particular, he's like a more wholesome Pepe, you know, like a less Nazi Pepe. <laughs> There's something kind of like existentially tired, but also, you know, literally cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, I feel, I feel like most of the memes are centered around Squidward and Patrick. Yeah. I guarantee you, you and I probably follow different meme accounts because the ones, and I don't even deliberately do this. This is just the ones that show up in my feed tend to be all like very sexually inappropriate, like what all the memes are. Hmm. No, I definitely do. Oh, I guess I don't really follow meme accounts per se. Yeah. I just, whatever meme is happening that day gets retweeted into my timeline. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I feel like I'm a little too old to follow meme accounts. <laughs> or I guess Ooh, I should say deep, a little too cut. mature. Yeah, right? I'm like, uh, <laughs> no, I, I also did not, I, I was, I think it came out around 2000, I want to say, is when it started to really get popular. 1999. 99 is when it started. So it probably, I don't okay. Did it come out the gate like super big? Do you yeah, remember? Yeah, absolutely. I think they just did a reboot of it or a revival or whatever. I don't think it's been going this whole time. It kind of has. Really? Like it, it It had some seasons off. Oh, shit. Okay. But, you know, it, was, it wasn't like South Park where it just never, ever stopped. Mm. It took a hiatus. It went and lived in France for a year to try and yeah. like deconnect <laughs> and like a, experience it took life. A gap year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it b- began airing its 12th season in 2018. It was renewed for a 13th season in 2019. Um, so yeah, it's still going. That's cool. <laughs> uh, I think I think it did take some gap years, but um, you know, for more or less, SpongeBob SquarePants has been a cultural mainstay for the last 20 years. So it was something of an inevitability that we were going to get a Broadway, a Broadway musical, musical based it, on. Yeah. The sponge, the myth, the legend, the legend, SpongeBob. So, um, I I sent you that picture uh, where mm-hmm. I look awesome. So I am the owner. I'm the proud owner of some SpongeBob pajamas now. Yeah, the mask is-, is what really pulls it together. It's like the carpet <laughs> and the Big Lebowski. Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and post that photo at some point. But uh, Sarah's dad, who you know unfortunately passed away recently, he and Sarah's younger sister loved SpongeBob. Uh, and so when they were cleaning up his stuff and, and getting rid of some of it, there was just all this SpongeBob stuff that he had. It was like a bunch of PJs and like shorts and like T-shirts and socks. I don't know why. At some point, they just went and bought a bunch of it. So uh, I'm excited to sort of get into the mindset that's, that's of interesting what. Interesting, because yeah. he was he would he would have been a boomer, right? So yeah, boomers apparently there's something for boomers in SpongeBob. So I guess like it wasn't so like out there to make a Broadway musical since, you know, boomers are the ones that tend to love Broadway musicals the most. Um, well, the other thing too, I remember it wasn't as young as like, I remember in the early two thousands, like, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but like first, cause you know, we was up, up in the Bay area, but like, I remember, uh, what was it? It was like Patrick and, and SpongeBob were like gay icons at one point. Cause they like held hands. Do you remember this? I don't remember. No, I don't remember that. I, I remember that being a thing. I, I can't like speak to it historically that much, but I just remember like just hearing the sort of the chatter around the place is that that was like a huge deal. <laughs> the buzz. The buzz the was trending. That, yeah. So like I remember the at least the San Francisco gays, I should say, were, were all God, San Francisco gays. Yeah. Well, they're ahead of the curve anyway. Yeah. They all loved SpongeBob. They, they invented memes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like so many things, mainstream culture reappropriated it. It's true. Uh, but why don't I go ahead and get into the stats? Uh, so SpongeBob SquarePants, the Broadway musical, originally titled the SpongeBob Musical, later retitled as such for the national tour. I guess that's a really important distinction that they put the Broadway musical <laughs> versus musical. Yeah, we wouldn't want to think it's like the high school musical or, you know, the community theater musical. It's like, no, this was yeah. expensive. <laughs> so music and lyrics by various with three question marks which I assume means that there was a lot of people who worked on it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, book by Kyle Jaro. Jaro? Jaro? Don't know. 
Uh, on January 16th, 2014, the Flaming Lips' lead singer Wayne Coyne mentioned through Twitter that he was writing lyrics for a developing SpongeBob musical. Did you ever get into Flaming Lips? Nope. Neither did, did I. No, I just, I know that there is sort of like seen as like a kind of artsy sort of genius whatever thing. So that's kind of funny. I know nothing about Flaming Lips. I'm kind of like a, like a hypocrite because... Um, there's a character in my book, the New York Times bestselling Maxine's End, <laughs> that uh, wears an Our Lady Peace shirt. And I know nothing about Our Lady Peace. I just like I was like I had this character and I was like, uh, I feel like he should be wearing a band shirt. Mm. What should he wear? And Angie was like, I don't know, Our Lady Peace. And I was like, sure. Why <laughs> so not? I just, threw it in, I just threw it in there. And, you know, I know I have people being like, oh, my God, that's so funny. And I'm like, yeah, I guess uh. <laughs> I know. I get things. I know the jokes I make. I know. Stop giving me credit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. Here we go. The various writers. I like various as in quotes as if they're not various. The various (laughs) writers include Yolanda Adams, Steven Tyler, and Joe Perry. That's pretty exciting. Uh, Sarah Prelis, Jonathan Colton, Alex Ebert, Edward Sharp, The Flaming Lips, Lady Antebellum. Oh, Uh, Lady Lady A. A. Oh, God. What a shit show that is. (laughs) Uh, Cindy Lauper. Rob Hyman, John Legend, Panic at the... This is a pretty good fucking lineup. John Legend, Panic at the Disco, Plain White Tees, They Might Until Be Giants. Until you get to Plain White Tees, it was a pretty good lineup. I don't know them. They Might Be Giants, T.I., Damani, and Lil C. That's that's actually kind of cool. That seems... That's, that's pretty fucking eclectic. Yeah, they were like, instead of doing the Beetlejuice thing where they got Eddie Perfect to do the music and lyrics, <laughs> one guy, they were like... <laughs> I forgot you know about what? that guy. <laughs> let's just let's just get everybody. Who yeah. Can, yeah, everybody loves SpongeBob. This whoever was writing it. Oh, who was it? Jaro, uh, Jaro, uh, Jaro had some mix Carl CD. Jaro. Yeah, Carl Jaro had a mix CD. He was listening to, and he's like, "Fuck it, these are just the people that are going to write the musical." Yeah. Done. Let's just like like send out a blast email and see who responds. <laughs> uh, TIL Panic at the Disco is a Tony nominee. I'm not familiar with TIL. Today I learned. Oh, today I learned. <laughs> Today I learned Panic like at the Disco. SMH shaking yeah, my SMH, head. Yeah, right. you, you know the, the memes of like, is yours teen? <laughs> <laughs> like, speaking in code. T-I- so T-I-L means today, today, I <laughs> today I learned Panic at the Disco is a Tony nominee. Uh, I'm assuming from this, not from some other musical that they worked on. Yeah, the Panic at the Disco. Yeah. Panic. <laughs> panic. The panic at the Disco. At the disco. <laughs> uh, Kyle Jaro was tasked with creating a seamless musical from all these different writers. Uh, it opened on Broadway at the Palace Theater, a.k.a. the biggest goddamn theater. Double parentheses. It's not actually the biggest one. That's the Gershwin one, which hosts Wicked, but it's fucking huge. Did we yeah, see anything I mean, at the it Palace? It feels like the biggest because it is just, it's like, it's, it's like a cylinder and it has, I think, three mezzanines. Oh, wow. Um, it's, it, we haven't been in it because it's been under renovation since SpongeBob closed and it wasn't slated to reopen until 2021. Ah. Um it's not the nicest theater just because of the way it's constructed. I feel like it's constructed like that because it's like right in the middle of Times Square. It's like right next to where the Virgin Megastore used to be. Uh, R.I.P. Um, I miss the Virgin so Megastore. So maybe it just. Yeah, I, I have so many good me- memories yeah. in that Virgin Megastore. I fucking Do you remember love those we places. went when like last time we were in New York, we went to this restaurant called Carmine's, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I go to all the time now that I have expendable income. But when I was in college, it was like, uh, you know, a big deal. And we couldn't afford to eat there because like you had to tip. And, you know, buy an actual entree. So what we would do is get the tiramisu, which is a pie. You know, it's just like it's just a massive, (laughs) massive just plate of cream and bread and coffee and then take it into the cafe at the bottom of the Virgin Mega store and just chaw (laughs) on this like, you know, (laughs) this giant thing of tiramisu because we were young and, you know, we're going to live forever. Fuck it. Fuck it. That sounds yeah. fun. I remember. Honest- I used, yeah, I like Times Square. I, I, just, I don't know why people are down <laughs> on it. Times Square is fun. Fuck you guys. <laughs> my my first uh, association with nice quality headphones was the Virgin Megastore. I remember going because you remember they mm-hmm. had the listening stations where you'd go and there'd be these like really nice. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. And then you'd be like, oh, fuck, which in retrospect. And they had such like an insane selection, which mattered yeah. back then because you couldn't just have everything. You know, coming from Tennessee, you know, basically where the only record stores we had were like the equivalent of Books a Million. You know, there was a lot of stuff you couldn't buy, like yeah. even online yeah. back then. And so you like going to the Virgin Megastore was just like, you know, this brave new world opening up of just yeah. like this incredible. And this is also where I discovered the Phantom of the Opera. So Ooh. if it weren't for the Virgin Megastore, we would not be here today. I'm um, interesting. I, I, uh, I'm like, we can talk all day about Virgin Megastore. Yeah, Unfortunately, can. I can't. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the, the palace is uh, very big. It's, it's shows to not to last there for very long. Mm. Um, it's one of those because it's so big, like it's, it's kind of hard to, you know, justify the cost. Mm, OK. Um, well, Vulture describes the palace as, quote, to sit in the balcony is to be stuck atop a Ferris wheel, frightened and far from your friends below, end quote. I don't like that. I don't really like Ferris wheels. Fun fact, I don't really like heights. It is very like, yes, it is very much that way. Uh, I'm not a fan of that. Um, okay, well, cool. Well, Lindsay is fond of that balcony because she saw Lestat the musical there twice for $20. Yes, I, that's... I didn't realize there was a musical of Lestat. They buried the shit out of it. It, I uh, mean, I, I wish we could do an episode on that. It is a trip and a half. It was written by Elton John and Bernie Taupin. What? Um, Way to it bury was the one lead. Of those, <laughs> yeah, it was one of those uh, like really expensive ones, uh, oh. like a la Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark. Um, Are there pro had, like, shots of that? Oh my God, I would so watch that. No. I fucking love not, me no, some Elton John. Actually, okay, so uh, as a New York Times bestselling author, <laughs> um, the... Uh, so, so I have a literary agent, but I also have a film rights agent and um, the film rights agent. I forget how it came up, but I think he might have saw on like my Twitter or something that I was like talking about Lestat, the musical. And he's like, you know, I also represent uh, Linda Wolverton, who wrote the book for Lestat, the musical. Oh, my God. And while there is no pro shot, there is a pro recording of Lestat, the musical. Please ask for this <laughs> and I was favor. Like, please, please give me this thing. And so far he hasn't. I think he like if he sells the right or rather if he sells the option then I'll he'll like look at me fondly and I will I, I'll be that much closer to a pro recording of Lestat the musical but like yeah that that is what I associate like I think the palace is more famous for Aida that like uh, was also an Elton John musical that was real big in the 90s what year was Lestat Lestat was I was in college so I want to think it was like oh five okay six yeah you know because here's the thing about experiences you know like you very rarely regret <laughs> You know, I, doing a thing. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's like uh, I my my biggest regret from Lestat the musical is not buying the merch. Of course. Because, always buy merch. <laughs> always buy the merch if you can afford it, which granted I was in college. But like there was this there was this song in Lestat the musical called the Crimson Kiss. Ooh. And uh, which, of course, sounds like, you know, earning your red wings, as they call it on. <laughs> Oh, wow. I believe on Reddit. And I, they had a shirt that said the Crimson Kiss and my roommate bought one and I didn't. And I have regretted it for the rest of my life. And I will always regret that. So if anyone has any Crimson Kiss shirts, I will buy it. Yeah. I'm like, will, you should look on eBay. It might be there. I'm sure it's probably worth I, a bit. I don't know. I have looked. And oh. uh, I haven't seen it, but I didn't look today. So maybe it's there. Maybe anyway. today it'll go up. So yeah. anyway. Moving on. Uh, okay. So yes, Lestat. Uh, okay. Back to SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, we went on a little detour of uh, Virgin <laughs> Records and Lestat. But anyway, okay. With 12 Tony Award nominations, it tied with Mean Girls for the most nominated production at the 72nd Tony Awards in 2018. That's not that long ago, and yet it feels like eons. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like an, a show that no one remembers one. It was like The Band's Visit, uh, which I, you know, it's kind of one of those, I don't even know if it was a critical darling. It just wasn't branded because it was up against Frozen, Mean Girls, and SpongeBob. Mm. And of course, none of those are going to win because they don't, like, the Tonys are biased against, uh, you know. Yeah, it's like the Oscars. It needs to be more prestigious, yeah, yeah, sort of. Like, mm -hmm. This is the idea of what we think people want to think is like fancy yeah. and prestigious rather than the one that's actually good. Because it seems like, you know, again, I haven't seen it yet, but it seems like Spongebob is the one that should have won mm. or Mean Girls just based on like how much it has resonated with people. Yeah. Um, and like has kind of stayed in the cultural consciousness because nobody remembers the band's visit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I, I don't know. It's about a band visiting or something. 
Um, so the Broadway show opened to mostly positive reviews in 2018. Chris Jones of the Chicago Tribune praised the cast and wrote positively of the show's songs, writing that the musical's biggest gamble, a score made up of singles by different songwriters and unified by orchestrator Tom Kitt, works quite beautifully. A writer for The Guardian disagreed, calling the main plot bottom feeder low and subplots roundly ignorable, resulting in a show that is perfunctorily entertaining as it is insistently forgettable. Strong words. Uh, I've worked with this woman and she hates everything I love, so guessing SpongeBob is going to be wonderful. Oh, so you know this person that was yeah, the writer for yeah, the Guardian? Yeah, I, I, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to name her because uh, she and I work for a uh, an institution that I still work for. But um, I mean, honestly, bottom feeder low to me sounds like a good sell. She said the exact same thing about Beetlejuice, oh. and there is this you know cliche of theater critics that is often 100% true where they def just resent the shit out of poor people and yeah. just like low, you know, art for the poor is beneath me. And, yeah. she, you know, it's like the second she's like described Beetlejuice in that way as like only the, the dumb poors would like it. Yeah. Uh, I was like, we are not going to work well together. Yeah. <laughs> and That's boy, same. we did not. She was also a super low key racist. No, not even low key. I was like that <laughs> working with her was like, um, oh, so this is. I, I don't think I really understood what people were, you know, talking about when they talk about the dreaded liberal white woman mm -hmm. that, you know, th <laughs> thinks they know what's best for everybody. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's the whole theater snobbery thing, it, it is part of what's killing Broadway. Yeah. You know, the gatekeeping and just why. The why snobbery. Do this? Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that you, you know, you work at Columbia and you like feeling better than everybody. But like, do you not see that that's exactly what you're doing? Like, yeah, theater should be accessible and or it's going to go away. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be pop art. Yeah. Uh, bottom feeder low. Eat my ass, woman. Yeah, I was like that sort of. And also, it's like it's based on a children's cartoon. I think like it's sort of like. Yeah, it's, I, it's I, not I, even I was wondering that how how are we going to work in the philosophy of Immanuel Kant into <laughs> a SpongeBob musical? Like, what are you? What do you want? Like, yeah, exactly. Bottom feeder low. It's a the SpongeBob SquarePants musical. It's for kids. It's like saying like Star Wars is unsophisticated. It's for babies. <laughs> <laughs> it's for children. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, so I was going to ask, and it sounds like we, we've already answered this question, but it sounds like it's sort of in the lines of Beetlejuice, and actually not so much. I was expecting something a little bit more, or I shouldn't say I was because I haven't watched it yet, but I, I was thinking it's going to be a little bit more like Frozen, but it sounds like it's mm -hmm. not necessarily like an adaptation as much as it is yeah, something that's like the spirit much of it. It's its own thing, yeah. yeah, in the spirit, because it's like, how do you adapt an 11-minute cartoon yeah. to a two-and-a-half-hour musical? You don't, so... Um, it, se it seems to be, you know, more in the vein of, of like the Spongebob movies where we had to figure out like a plot that will go for 90 minutes. It definitely seems to be more in the spirit of Spongebob mm -hmm. rather than an actual adaptation of a Spongebob plot or plot, episode. Yeah. So it's a lot of like insanity and randomness and fun and sort of earnestness and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm into that. Yeah, it sounds like fun. Yeah. I'm looking forward to some bottom feeder low <laughs> good times. I just hope, like Beetlejuice. Yeah. I'm so sad about Beetlejuice. Uh, Ollie uh, just yes, the other day sent me like, hey, look what the Beetlejuice shop is selling. And it was like Beetlejuice masks. <laughs> oh, that sounds kind of like, great. Oh, that is, well, it's kind of dark considering that was what killed it. Like COVID killed Beetlejuice and now uh, they're selling COVID merch. Poor Beetlejuice. Well, I'm just like, maybe, maybe Beetlejuice will come back considering all of the Broadway shows that are probably not coming back. A slight bit of insider... Uh, understanding of how Hollywood is is a lot of shows are getting like swept under the rug and canceled that were terrible, but they're mm -hmm. everyone's sort of able now to use COVID as a reason for why certain things uh, mm -hmm. aren't weren't succeeding or didn't succeed, even though there was like internal strife and different things. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if they're going to be able to use that later as a way to sort of revive something, being like, oh, we didn't suck or like we didn't like collapse. We're we're going to be I mean, this is the both the good and the bad version yeah, yeah. of it is that you're going to be able to say like it was covid. So give us another shot and we might be able to come back and it's it won't yeah. necessarily be I like mean, I the think exact a numbers. lot of it is done, though, because it'll be like a full year after the show closed unexpectedly. We're talking about Beetlejuice. Yeah. 
where will the cast want to or will they want to move on? You know, will that era of their lives be done? Yeah, that's true. Um, because a lot of what, you know, why people wanted to save it was because uh, they wanted to keep that original cast or most of it. Because um, obviously Sophia and Caruso, no yeah. doubt. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's not just that, obviously. It's like once that production goes, it's never coming back unless, yeah. uh, you know, um, cause like it, you cannot do a lot of the things that they do on the tour. Yeah. Even though I don't like the palace as a theater, mm-hmm. it does kind of seem like, a, an obvious place if they do revive it. But I, I really do. I, I wonder, cause you don't really hear of any like big properties in development on Broadway right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because the palace has been sitting empty for God, almost two years now. Um, Jesus. ever since SpongeBob closed. Wow. Yeah. Just because they've been renovating right, it, right, maybe they're say. making maybe they're making it wider. Yeah, <laughs> less of a two Ferris, Ferris wheel. wheels inside now. Yeah, well, it's kind of like the Walter Kerr, where you know the the mezzanine where where Hades Town is, yeah, where yeah. the mezzanine is really really steep. Steep, yeah. But there's they're way bigger, and there's three of them. So Jesus. it's just like it is very yeah. It it's a very strange theater. It, it does it does kind of make me nostalgic. I mean, I like that, though. They all have personalities, you know, and the more you go to like Broadway shows, the more you're like, oh, cool. I'm back in like, you know, the the Atkinson Theater, which I do wonder because like six didn't even open. It was still in previews when we saw it. And will it open again? Will the buzz have died out? You know, who knows? I'm just waiting for any of these theaters to start uh, revamping and looking like the modern movie theaters, because for a man of my size, all those seats are always like <laughs> terrifying, especially for like three it hours. Is, yeah, yeah, it is funny how like those seats were obviously built for like 1940s people. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> I literally uh, feel like the Incredible Hulk every time I sit into them. And I'm just like, because uh, my shoulders are broad. So I always like hit everybody that I'm sitting next to. And I just feel like I can't move my knees. So it's cool. I think I think all theaters should do that. Just make it so there's less people, but the seats are bigger. Maybe a recliner, you know. <laughs> yeah, make it, make it like, uh, you know, those those 4D Yeah, like the Alamo Draft House or something. I'm into that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we're going to go watch SpongeBob. And we'll come back and discuss yeah, it. Come pro- back with more Virgin Megastore nostalgia yeah. <laughs> and more Tiramisu tales after this. This episode is sponsored by Curiosity Stream, a subscription streaming service with thousands of documentaries and nonfiction titles. You can also get access to our streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for Curiosity Stream using our code at curiositystream.com/musicalsplaining. That's the name of the podcast, in case you'd forgotten. Nebula is a video streaming platform built by and for creators, not by some corporate drone, terrible Silicon Valley types who don't love puppies. We love puppies here. We're very pro-puppy. When CuriosityStream is all about big-budget nonfiction videos, we're building Nebula because we want a place for smaller, independent, education-ish creators to try out new ideas that might not work out on YouTube. You know, like mom-and-pop kind of stuff. With Nebula, you can see original content again. But anyway, you can see original content from creators like CGP Grey, Kersekzog, and eventually Lindsay and I will have some Nebula originals tying in with this very podcast that you're listening to right now. Assuming that you are actually listening to this ad in this podcast and you haven't skipped through it, I really hope you haven't. Because this is extremely entertaining for anyone who's listening to it, I imagine. Probably. Anyway, those Nebula originals will be made with the support of CuriosityStream. And so, in conclusion, you can get CuriosityStream plus our streaming service, Nebula, for only $2.99 per month or $19.99 for a full year? That's an insane deal. You got to do it. So go ahead and visit CuriosityStream.com to learn more. And now back to the podcast. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the break and we have both watched the SpongeBob musical. And I have some incredibly strong feelings about SpongeBob. <laughs> As usual. Yeah. Me too. Wow. wow. Was not it, <laughs> was not expecting the passion. It, it was a musical. Yeah. Um so so we we texted about this a little bit, like very, very briefly, because we tend to be on a um What's the word that like when the press is not allowed to release reviews about something? 
Oh, you were embargoed. We're on our personal. Right, we embargo. always have an embargo afterwards. Uh, the consensus that we seem to sort of put out in terms of feelers was, it's fine. It's not bad. It's not like amazing. <laughs> I don't really have that strong of feelings about it. Well, here's here's the thing. As I was watching it, I uh, you know I have a lot of n- notes. Like looking at my notes, like holy shit, like. <laughs> um, Wow, this is timely. Oh, I see what people were talking about. Because fundamentally, it is a uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants musical is a story about government ineptitude in the face of a disaster <laughs> and uh, all the concomitant um, xenophobia it engenders, scapegoating that sort of thing. And I think the thing was like, I, I was like, oh, well, it did the thing. And I, you know, did it fine, but it didn't make me like, wow, this is, you know, I was. <laughs> and um, I thought about that lady that wrote the review and I'm like, what fucking miserable existence does this woman have that she was so angry about this music? <laughs> like, how is this a thing you get that angry about? Yeah, I know. Just like bottom feeder. The only thing that made me mad was they waited till the end to do the theme song. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was kind of like waiting for it because I feel like in a show like this, it would have been a good grounding thing to, you know, start with get it. people like odd ah, SpongeBob. Yeah, just put it in there somewhere, at least hat tip to it, because they didn't do any of the musical stuff in the show until like the very, very end. And even then, I think I wonder if that might have been like um, for the benefit of like the filmed version. Right. For the televised part of it. Yeah. 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 So here's the here's the main thing I thought of, which you could have probably imagined me experiencing this where when I started watching it, I was like, why the fuck aren't they wearing costumes like they're I mean, they're wearing costumes. But I was like, why Mm -hmm. isn't he a sponge? Why isn't Patrick a a fucking star or you know what I mean? Like it was it's it's people dressed in like regular clothes and then sort of have this weird outfit that they've put together to make them look like the characters. Uh, But then Mm -hmm. it slowly started to dawn on me especially as you see the sets. Uh, this is something that I think this is one that's very set heavy, like in terms of like what the charm of it is. Yeah. Cause that's what the bottom feeders, like the swill, <laughs> <laughs> the common folk, the common folk just loves. But then I thought about, it was like, I had this very specific thing that it reminded me of, which obviously I didn't see SpongeBob when I was a small child, but it reminded me of being at like, my grandmother's house or like some older relative's yeah, house where you're, you're, you're using your imagination. Yeah, like, exactly. Like these are, these are sophisticated sets, but yep, like yep. they're still like household objects. Like yep. whenever they climb a mountain towards the end, it's just a bunch of boxes, boxes. stacked on top of each other. Yeah, <laughs> that is yeah. made epic by the way the lighting is used. And the ladders that are like the inside of the volcano, like the way that they're arranged. And then I was like, Oh, this is like, being five years old and playing at your grandmother's house. If your grandmother was Lisa Frank, that mm-hmm. was like the main takeaway I had of it. And then, and then I thought that was actually quite charming. I, th- I thought that that was, that was the strongest part of it to me was the direction, like the sort of the production design and the costumes. And, and again, initially I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I was like, Oh, this is actually, it's just play. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like that. I, I like that they trust their audience enough with like just allowing them to kind of wear schlubby clothes that are reminiscent of their characters rather than like actual, you know, Universal Studios costumes. <laughs> or I'm sorry, Nickelodeon. I didn't, Nickelodeon. Where is SpongeBob? Is it, it's Nickelodeon, yeah. But I, th- I think SpongeBob is a character at Universal. Oh, is it? I, I, I honestly Correct have Correct no me in the comments. Oh, wait, podcasts don't have comments. Correct yeah, us I, on I, Twitter. <laughs> or was it Six Flags? I don't know, because I, I know I know he's like, because Nickelodeon Studios doesn't exist anymore. Or do they? I don't know. I think that actually, it? No, wait, who cares? Um, yeah, so <laughs> as as is always the case with these fucking pro shot things, I was really distracted by nope. that. The camera um, work. I, Really hated the camera work, really hated the close-ups. They kept doing it during, like, expressions that were meant to play to the cheap seats. Mm. Uh, And, you know, again, the palace is a very large theater, so whenever they make an expression, like, SpongeBob makes a silly face you're supposed to be able to see it from the very back row. Mm. And then they like pushed in on these like close, close, close up. Oh God, it was awful. Like, <laughs> why, what do you have against masters? It's a, it's a stage show. Uh, I hate it. Um, such is the life we live. Unfortunately. Now, did you think any of the songs were like huge bangers? Cause they all no. seemed pretty straightforward to me. <laughs> no. um, um, I guess like it was an interesting kind of, 
example of when a through line, a singular vision can work to your advantage because there were absolutely like no musical motifs that are consistent from song to song, unless it's a reprise of an earlier song. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if there are, I completely didn't notice them. And it, cause like I woke up the next morning after I watched it and I was like, I don't remember a single note from yeah. this show yeah. except for SpongeBob. The theme song. Parents. Yeah. Except <laughs> for the theme song. Um, and that's not normally the case for me. Uh, Cause again, normally there will be motifs that get used uh, over and over again. And again, to quote Andrew Lloyd Webber quoting Ro- uh, Richard Rogers, um, <laughs> you can expect the audience to remember three motifs the first time they see a musical. Yeah. Um, so you want to make sure you have at least three that are strong enough to be remembered, uh, if not songs themselves. And I f- found th- these to be just, eh, you know, fine. They were fine. I, you know, what? the only song I did remember was I'm Not a Loser. And I think that's because I related yeah. <laughs> too hard to like the lyrical content of it. You're not a loser. Secretly hate yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, because that was the one that going in, everybody was like, Patrick has the good song. Um, and no, no, I that's, have a note. That's, squid, that's Squidward. Or I was, yeah, Squidward. Yeah, yeah. And I have, I have a note right here that says, Loser might be the only song I listen to again. <laughs> I, I thought that that act, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what the actor's name was, but I thought Squidward's role kind of, he stole the show. Yeah. As, as far as I was concerned, I thought he was the funniest. And I thought, yeah. I just, again, I feel, you know, I really feel like I'm, you know, missing out because this one, arguably even more than Hamilton, seems like the kind of show that really feeds off of audience energy, yeah. especially if it's got kids in the audience and, um, you know, like these jokes that probably work in a live setting, but fall really flat on television. You know, I, yeah, I just, I, I know I keep harping on this, but it's just like, I, I feel like I'm getting an incomplete experience yeah. and that might make me less fair to this show. I, think <laughs> I, mean, again, I didn't hate it, but it's just like, eh, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever think about it again, despite how like, it, it is kind of funny that it was, you know, written in like, you know, 2015, 2016, and it, it is so like it's such a COVID era yeah, show that is specifically yeah specifically about like a disaster happens the government uh, is <laughs> like first they downplay it and then they uh, decide to respond in a in really inadequate way yep. uh, xenophobia happens and they yep. don't condemn it like you're not from here what do you know about the thing what does he say to yeah, the squirrel lady that was and that was another thing because it, it it has. Uh, the awe, the racist is cured trope. Um, yeah, because yeah. of course, at the because uh, one of the subplots is Sandy Cheeks, who is of course the genius squirrel, where you know uh, black women solve everybody's problems for them. <laughs> I was thinking <laughs> you know, about thankless. that too when I was watching it. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, it does the like this thing I keep seeing over and over in media, where you'll have this sort of like. Hillary Clinton character, but it's played by a black woman. <laughs> um, you know, I've seen that a few times where it's like sort of like inadequate female mm. leadership, but it's it's a black woman. So, you know, like the the first Fantastic Beasts movie did that. And it's always, you know, it's, I guess it feels a little disingenuous to me. I don't know. There was like this this entire era before the 2016 election where like you'd have a lot of like impotent female leadership, you know, like uh, the the Day the Earth Stood Still remake did that with Kathy Bates. and I never saw that. The Transformers movie did it uh, with Frances McDormand's character. And then... Um, Thoroughly unbelievable because Frances McDormand is the best and she would be great as a leader. I love her. <laughs> oh, my God. I, it's just like, wait, if, if, you, if you've got... Uh, an hour, I could. <laughs> I, oh, I could go on about Francis McDormand's character in Transformers Three. I've got some extremely strong Francis McDormand <laughs> in Transformers Three opinions, um, and uh, and then Cela, I think it's Cela Ward in Independence Day Resurgence. It's just it was just like this whole thing, and uh, this kind of came out in that era where there was this really constant trope of like, hey, we have a female president, but she doesn't know what she's doing, you know. Mm. And it's not it's not a big deal. It's just like something I noticed that I'm just like, ah, this again. Mm, only mm. this only this time it's a black woman yeah. but it's okay because sandy is played by a black actress do you think that was deliberate in the in the casting because i know a, a lot of stuff we talk about in broadway tends to be colorblind casting but this almost seemed like a 
fucking point that they were making. Yeah, I don't know about the president, mayor, lady. Um, I feel like Sandy, definitely. Because, I mean, the, especially, like, the way they accomplish Sandy's uh, <laughs> helmet that she wears in the TV show is she has an afro. And I thought that was really clever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think I think it would be harder to accomplish that with a with a non-black actress. But um, sure. yeah, I, th- I think with Sandy, yes, I'm not sure about the mayor lady. But uh, again, it's it does the, the the trope I don't really like where it's like bigotry in the small town. Oh, isn't that terrible? But then they learn the error of their ways and all oh, the racist is cured. And I'm, I don't like those because I feel like the racist is cured narratives are like, you know, they're here to give white liberals some hope about their shitty racist relatives. Sure. And but ultimately, course, ultimately, yeah. she has to, like, fucking climb a mountain volcano yeah. and jump inside to earn their trust. Yeah. I, yeah. I just like I don't feel like I, I'm not a huge fan of narratives that force minorities to, like, you know, tap dance backwards on the yeah. edge of a cliff to earn the respect of <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. of the racists, you know, because uh, yeah, I, I do think that is that does kind of feed into a very consistent, like toxic mindset that we see in the real world all the time, which is like, mm-hmm. well, what is your value? Do yeah. you bring value? You know, like your life has to be like in direct proportion to the value that you bring. Yeah. But like, you know, so much more because we already mistrust you. Uh, speaking of tap dancing, I did think it was a stroke of fucking genius to have the four-legged Squidward do a tap dancing number. That was the part uh-huh. where I was like, hist- sorry to go back to it, but I, I just thought that that was another element of it where it's like, okay, this is play. This is just mm-hmm. them being ridiculous. And and further to the point you were making before about seeing it in, uh, in person, uh, mm-hmm. the palette is so vibrant. And I, I can imagine that like, if you were just sitting in a theater watching it, like being exposed and like having these fucking colors almost like come at you like some, fucking seizure right yeah it, it might have been totally an insanely different experience that i think would have been i mean i wouldn't say fun because i don't like musicals but i can imagine how somebody <laughs> yeah. who would enjoy this would think it's oh, the, the mask almost <laughs> slipped <laughs> i think like, oh, no, i would never have fun at a musical but I, I would endure it less angrily yes i would be less angry at this in person but yes because my friends who saw it uh, when I, uh, you know, the the week I got married, like that was, I remember one of them was like, I, she talked about how like she almost teared up during the Squidward dance because it was so much fun and the audience was like so into it. Yeah. Which, by the way, somebody on, there was some like minor discussion on Twitter about whether or not they were like, oh, Kava will like Squidward, but then he'll hate Squidward after that number. And I'm going to tell you fucking opposite. Love Squidward, <laughs> loved him more after that number. So there you go. <laughs> Yeah, I guess Squidward is, uh, he's a very late millennial archetype. He's just like, my mom believed in me and like, that's the only person, essentially. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to be mad at that Guardian writer again. Like, there are plenty of things to critique about this show, but bottom feeder and being basic, I just, who do you think these shows are for, woman? Like, yeah. Who who do you think is seeing Beetlejuice, the musical? It's not like Juilliard professors that are, you know, here to like, like no, it, I have it to has see it in the original French or not at all. Well, that's what I mean. Like uh, so much of it to me was like, this is about play. This is about having fun. Mm-hmm. This is about earnestness. This is and that's sort of what SpongeBob is as a character. So in that sense, too, I think it really. Oh, I was thinking about um, what was it? Uh, the Green Day one. I'm drawing a blank. Uh, American Idiot, right? Yeah. Remember when we were talking about American Idiot and I was like, I feel like American or I felt like American Idiot sort of missed the spirit of what it was trying to adapt mm-hmm, into a musical. Mm-hmm. I think this is yeah. a good example of the opposite where like it understood the spirit of what this cartoon is and what the characters are and what the medium is supposed to sort of present. Yeah, yeah. I it like this... captured the spirit, but it didn't look the same. It didn't like, yeah. uh, you know, it, I think that and that's a, it's a very kind of interesting case study with medium because animation is so different from yeah. theater, any kind of theater. Like, because like, you know, regular film is going to be closer to animation than the theater is because, mm-hmm. you know, there's so much of the frame that is in your control. Like, that's kind of the whole point. I think it is it is a really smart use of medium. Yeah. Um the way it like like you said it captures the spirit but it doesn't just recreate what you see in the cartoon because like in the cartoon they they don't do the like play thing. They don't like use props that are just yeah. like obviously not ocean things and pretend that they're ocean things. Like the props in the show are actual, you know, op- the actual object that they're mm-hmm. meant to represent if 
a highly stylized version of it. Yeah, I, I thought that was that was pretty inspired, to be honest. Not to get too uh, to like get too excited about SpongeBob, but <laughs> I, I just I thought it was it's very clever. You know, I was like, oh, it's, yeah, that's I was like, nice. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was like, I, I can respect in a in a distant uh, academic sense. But, but that's it too, right? It's it's a really academic approach, but it's actually very like it's very childish, right? I'm like, that's a weird place to live in. Yeah, no, it's it's very smart. And again, like I just. I, I, I feel like theater critics like that just like maybe it didn't really hit with them the way in the same way as like I kind of feel like, you know, we didn't really like it um, or we didn't dislike it. It was just like, you know, you saw it, it's fine and you're never going to think about it again. But like if that's the reaction uh, theater critic has a lot of the time, you have to turn it into, well, I'm smarter than this. And um, <laughs> I don't think you are, woman. No. I think this is an incredibly smart show. Like, yeah. it, it's like substantive enough that adults don't get bored. Um, that way it does kind of have that very playful take on a very serious topic. But also, like, the fact that it uses its medium to capture the spirit of what the animated show does and also just isn't a carbon copy of the um, mm-hmm. cartoon, uh, which would have been really boring. And that's, you know, a lot of the stuff that I hate about the Disney adaptations is doesn't you're not seeing anything new, you know, like, yeah, like with Frozen, like it's just, it's just a little longer. Like there's, there's not really, um, and I think especially beauty and the beast where like, I, I mean, I know I'm kind of alone on this cause I'm, I Uh-oh. like, I hate the beauty and the beast musical so much. And because I, I love the animated movie so much. Mm. And so it's like, Everything that the animation movie does right, the musical stumbles over, in my opinion. But a lot of that is just because, like, it's just it's just the same shit. Like, it's just the same fucking thing, but worse. Why? Why would you want that? <laughs> um, and it boggles my mind that that show ran as long as it did. Because uh, I like I get it for the Lion King. Because like the Lion King is something different. Like you obviously yeah. you haven't seen it, but you've, you've probably seen some of the sets, right? I, and, like, I've seen some of the sets. Yeah, yeah. I, I know about it. Yeah, I, like I, I oh, get. Yeah, different. Cool. You know, I I feel like maybe this is adding something new to this uh, IP, but most yeah. of the Disney musicals don't. IMHO, or at least they don't enough to make it interesting enough to like warrant it existing. <laughs> but I think this is like kind of one of the rare shows that does do that really well because it is recognizable. It captures the spirit. But at the same time, it is like appreciably different enough to warrant existing in its own right. And also, I don't think you need to know SpongeBob in order to enjoy it. And then I would guess too, like with uh, with with Disney stuff, they really don't need to try that hard, yeah. Because there's already a built-in audience to it who's going to come dump money because it's a fucking Disney thing. So they're like, whatever, fine. And so they want to lean towards more the prestige, if you will, of like making it yeah, seem yeah. like the movie and like oh, but nicer and fancier. But it, it's it like almost the seems- de- yeah, it's like the Jeffrey Katzenberg school of animated <laughs> films, where if we make it more adult, then we'll get more Oscars. Yeah, that- exactly. And that's how we got Pocahontas. Whereas this seems more like they are not burdened by it, but in fact, yeah. um, they're sort of inspired by it. They're like, whatever, fucking it's a talking sponge under the sea. Yeah. Like, who gives a shit? <laughs> like, just do whatever. It's fine. Like, yeah, you, there's no expectation. It is surprising how uncorporate this feels because I feel like Nickelodeon and the people who own it actually trusted the people who made the show to like let it be different enough to um, work on stage while not being so appreciably recognizable Um, and I think Disney just they the part of part of their problem they they well I mean what they call it in-house is brand integrity which means that like each of your you know properties has to be appreciably vertically integrated that they you know they don't step too out of line lest they become unrecognizable and that's a huge problem with the these fucking broadway crap shows i mean i didn't like i didn't like frozen either tell me how you really feel Lindsay. wow (laughs) yeah you should have been like i'd never hated a broadway show before i saw beauty and the beast on broadway that was the first show i hated and i i remember um again our old buddy the virgin megastore um (laughs) walked outside uh, because i saw it with lisa um uh, well my sister-in-law slash paul's wife who edits this show um and uh she was like I don't know what's your problem. It's just Beauty and the Beast. And like, uh, and so I just like angrily marched to the Virgin Megastore to buy <laughs> the like Beauty and the Beast on on TVT, which I did not own at the time. And then um, moved, went back to my dorm to watch the DVD just to like, I think just to reassure myself, like it's that wasn't like that, right? Like it's still good. Um, <laughs> 
I guess it was, but then like that was the DVD release where they corrected a bunch of problems what? with the um with the original theatrical cut. So they like oh man, like they they like redrew some of the animated stuff and they added a whole new musical number and Oh, I didn't um, know about this. Yeah, they 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 cleaned up some of the audio and special editioned like, it. They George Lucas yeah, it. Yeah, they George Lucas it because that was hey. that was in the era, you know, two thousand three ish. That every every fucking thing was doing it. Look at that though. We we seemed to have much more strong opinions about how much we liked the SpongeBob musical as we talked about it, which was surprising. Well, I think it's like it's less like it's more appreciate because I'm yeah. like it didn't really resonate with me in the way that like Beetlejuice and equally stupid musical did. Um, but it, I can still appreciate what they accomplished. I think honestly, my only really strong criticism of it is the choice to use a bunch of different composers meant that there wasn't really any flow. And I like, I have one note that I'm like, man, like Jero must've had a really difficult, thankless job working with all these celebrities. You know, that some of them were like super professional and chill and met their deadlines. And some of them, like he had to like harangue and (laughs) like, we'll never know who was the difficult one and who was the like professional one. Everybody was great. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was just like a big old happy Nickelodeon family. I mean, you're contractually obligated to do that after every fucking show that you're on, every movie, every mm-hmm. single thing. You're supposed to be like, it was like we built a family together and it was just this person was such an inspiration to us and blah, blah, blah. That's why every interview is the worst. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, you get shot. Um, like <laughs> Stalin, like Soviet Russia style. I mean, that's part of, yeah, that's how it works. They, they shoot I, you I just by watched not a movie called you. The Death of Stalin. And <laughs> oh, that movie's great. I love that movie. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, we're just like, man, they just, they just shoot people, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. and one other thing. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but um, Kevin Moonlow, was, who was an actor in this show, uh, mm-hmm. he, he was like the news interviewer guy and also in the ensemble. Um, we saw oh, him. Perch Perkins, right? I wrote his name down. That's because he wore that suit that was killer. That fucking. Yeah, yeah. The, the TV, like, uh, malfunctioning, like, multicolor. Uh, what is yeah, it called? Yeah. yeah, that thing was awesome. So uh, we saw him in Beetlejuice. He played oh. Otho, the Which guru. One was Otho? Oh, that was him? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. He was funny in this, too. I like Delia's him. Delia's guru, yeah. So, ah. I, I mean, I, I have, like, a special fondness for him because of some, like, behind-the-scenes stuff in Beetlejuice where he plays saxophone. Um, like, that's just one of his, like, unrelated skills. Nice. So he and uh, Leslie Kritzer, who plays Delia, would, like, be wait- lying in wait around corners waiting for people to like just like walk by <laughs> and just be like, <laughs> and i'm like this i love this man this is, Sergio. This is my one of my many soulmates from the beetlejuice musical I see, i'm, I'm wearing my miss argentina shirt today oh look at that that's nice <sighs> raise a glass looks great um it's you know n- didn't re- you know it's it's fine <laughs> it was fine it was totally perfect, I, perfectly serviceable we can appreciate it I, I think if you watch this musical and then you have really strong feelings about how bad it was you need to consider that maybe yeah. you're wrong in life and that you hate fun uh and that's that's sad don't hate fun yeah you need to just seriously re-examine why you have this pathological need to feel <laughs> superior to 10 year olds <laughs> Yeah, or maybe you just didn't play enough as a kid because that was the like yeah. I said that was just like yeah, oh yeah, yeah that probably explains like, it. That's like Had playing. one too many like uh, Malibu Barbies taken away. Yeah. All right, so that about wraps us up for SpongeBob. Thank you for listening. Uh, I are we are at Musical Splaining on Twitter with no G at Musical Splaining with a G on Instagram. I am at Cavatarian on Twitter and at Permafriends on Instagram. And I'm at the Lindsay Ellis on Twitter and at NameBrandLindsay on Instagram. And we'll see you at the Pro Shot <laughs> Close-Up Theater. We'll see you at the home theater. 